The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church, and it's entitled Discipleship at Home. For more information about Stone Oak Bible Church or for more resources, visit us at www.stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning, church. I hope that you're doing well. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So regardless of who you are, uh, what your home looks like, regardless of your age or your stage, here's one thing we know is that God has a heart for your home. He has a plan for you and for your home, and, and discipleship starts at home. We're going to be talking about that uh, together. And so as we look at this scripture, let me just give you a little bit of context. Um, this scripture is actually, uh, has been profoundly important uh, for God's people for centuries. Uh, it's in the Jewish tradition referred to as the Shema. Shema, the Hebrew word meaning to hear, which is just the first word of this text. And so the Shema is is foundational to the faith. It's recited a minimum of twice, two times a day for a devout Jew, once in the morning, once in the evening. And it's also recited together. Anytime they come together for worship gatherings, it's recited. Um, it's been kind of central. This confession, this text has been central for God's people. It's shaped God's people through centuries. It's actually been said that the entire essence of God and his purposes are expressed in this passage. That's a big, that's a big statement, and I think it's an accurate statement. Um, I think of Jesus's words. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record this moment where Jesus is asked by Pharisees, what's the greatest commandment? Like, what's the one thing? How can we, how should we summarize all of the law? right? Jesus has asked this, and although the Pharisees were looking to trap Jesus, right, um, Jesus's response was incredible because he cites this text. He cites this text. And so let's read this together, starting in verse four. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it starts with this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It starts with this foundational claim of who God is. It starts with God himself, the Lord our God, Yahweh, is one. And this is such a beautiful and simple proclamation about our God. Clearly defining who he is in a culture that believes in many gods. The scripture says resoundingly clear, Yahweh is one. In a secular world who says there is no God, the scripture is resoundingly clear. Yahweh is one. Yahweh is one. It makes The scripture makes this radical claim about who God is, that there is no other, there is no alternative, there is no other God beside him, there are no gods b- above him, 
The Lord is one. The Lord is one. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Trinity, all one. Our God is one. And I do not want to rush past this. This morning, we're, we're talking about discipleship in the home. And let me be really clear here. Any conversation about discipleship that does not begin with our God, any conversation about discipleship that is not primarily concerned with who he is, is not Christian discipleship. Christian discipleship is not self-help. If discipleship starts with you, if it's about you, if it's about what you're getting from it, if it all revolves around you and how you feel, church, that's not discipleship. That is self-help. That is a Christianized self-help. And hear me, self-help can indeed be helpful, right? It can be helpful, but it is not equal to, it is not a replacement for, it's not a substitute for Christian discipleship. Because here's the first thing I want us to see. Christian discipleship. Um, Christian discipleship. Discipleship in the home is theological. It is theological. Discipleship in the home is theological. And when I say theology, I mean the study of, the understanding of God. The focus of discipleship in the home, plainly put, is that we know him better. And to divorce theology from discipleship in the home will lead us down paths that we just don't want to go down. I can think of two off the top of my head. One, if we divorce these two, if we take theology out of this, we're going to be left with an empty set of rules, an empty set of morals And this is absolutely tragic to me because the point of the Bible, it's not to drive us to become better people. The point of the Bible is to tell us who our God is and what our God has done through Christ for us. To remove theology from discipleship will will leave us either with an empty set of morals or how about this one? To just leave us with a fun book of stories. Right? Um, again, the Bible is not, the goal of the Bible is not to provide us with a bunch of, you know, great stories that we tell our kids. The point of the Bible is to tell us the grand story, the grand story of redemption through Jesus Christ. When we separate theology from discipleship, it go, it takes us down paths that we don't want to go down. But when we see discipleship in the home as being theological, When we understand that our primary focus is to know him better, discipleship in the home becomes real and it becomes active. Discipleship in the home is theological. And now I want to kind of rest on some practical things here. I want to encourage you. Anytime you pray, anytime you sit down and spend time talking or listening to God or spend time in his word, meditating on his word, I want to encourage you not to jump into things like this. Well, what does this mean for me? How do I feel this morning? What do I need? Uh, What am I dealing with today, right? 
which by the way, all of those things are great. Do not hear me wrong. The scripture tells us that our God wants to hear those things. He invites us to cast our cares on him, right? That's true. But I encourage you before you get to that, start with him. Start with who he is. Just praise for who he is. Praise for what he has done. Start with the acknowledgement of who he is and what Christ has done on our behalf. Start there. Start in praise and focused on who he is and then move out. I encourage you, no matter who you are or how long, how little you've been following Jesus, do not be content with how much you know about your God. Instead, pursue daily to know him better. This is the focus of discipleship. It begins with God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then listen to this. Flowing out of that statement about who God is, is this all-encompassing command. Verse 5, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might. The call of God here is to love our God with our everything, including every part of us. First, the heart, which in the Hebrew context, uh, when they say heart, they use this to describe um, the place where we reason, our intellect, our knowledge, our place of understanding. So when they use the word heart, it's very similar to the way we use the word mind. Right? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then the second one is our soul. And the idea of the soul is this all of the invisible attributes of a person, his will, his sensibilities, and deep emotions of a person, right? And then lastly, our might or our strength. This is a weird word in the text. Um, it's actually, if you were to translate it just word for word, it's translated as muchness or veriness. So in other words, literally, love the Lord your God with all of your muchness. And what on earth does that mean? <laughs> The idea here is that we love the Lord with all of our physical resources, with our full capacity, that we love the Lord our God with everything. So heart, soul, and our might. And in our language today, I actually uh, found a way that's helpful for me to understand this. And it's this call to love our God with our head, heart, and hands. We love our, the Lord our God with our head, our heart, our hands. Our head, that's our beliefs, knowledge, reason, understanding, thoughts, right? Our heart, that's our emotions, our will, our passion, our sensibilities. And then our hands, that's our abilities, our strength, and every resource that we have in our hands. That we love the Lord our God with our everything. See, discipleship in the home is first, it's theological, but then the second thing that we need to see here is that we're called to love the Lord our God with our everything, meaning discipleship in the home is driven by love. Jesus said, this is the greatest command. If you get this right, everything will fall into place. This is core, foundational to everything that we do. Discipleship in the home is theological, and the heart of discipleship in the home is love. In other words, what we can say is at the heart of discipleship, it's to know him and to love him better. To know him and to love him better. And I'm, I know that as you hear this, I know that there are a mix of people. Some of you who are, are not yet married. Some of you are not married currently. Some of you are married. Some of you have kids. Some of you 
don't. Some of you have small kids, grown kids, grandkids, and everyone in between. We have different types of homes represented, but regardless of who you are, the call of discipleship remains. And as simple as this sound sounds, the call of discipleship is simply to know and to love God better, to pursue that each and every day. Discipleship in the home is theological and it is driven by love. And then in verse six, and these words that I have that I command you today shall be on your heart. Remember the the way they use heart. That's the equivalent of our uh, the way we use mind, right? So um, these commands you should know this. Let it be on your mind. Let it be in your understanding and your thoughts. And then listen to this: you shall teach them diligently to your children. You should talk of them when you sit in your house, you, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Do you hear the, the totality in these statements? Do you hear the way that God is calling us through his word to let discipleship infiltrate every single little nook and cranny of our home life? See, discipleship is theological. I mean, it's about knowing God better. Discipleship in the home is driven by love. It's about loving God better, right? And then thirdly, discipleship in the home is accomplished through gospel saturation. Through gospel saturation. The text says, teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting around in your house, when you go for a walk, lying down, getting up. In other words, your entire life should be centered around knowing and loving God better. Discipleship in the home is accomplished when we saturate our homes with the gospel. And so he starts by saying, teach them diligently to your children. And for any and everyone who has kids, we know that teaching our kids can be challenging. Our kids have a way of asking some really difficult questions, a way of pushing on our areas of doubt, and, and they have this way of not being content with fluffy answers, right? Uh, when we begin to talk about sharing Jesus or talking about Jesus with our kids and when we start to talk about discipleship uh, with them, there's this very real fear that we feel that we don't have or we don't know all the answers. There's this really, this, this real fear that, that we're not going to be able to disciple them well. And I've heard this fear from so many parents of kids of all ages and hear me, there's a couple things that I, I want us to see. Um, first, you are discipling your kids whether you realize it or not. And they're watching you. They're, they're watching to see what Jesus means in your life, to see the joy and the passion that you have for the Lord, to see you living out your faith before them. You're discipling them. And so what this means is if, if you are, are throwing up your hands and saying, I can't do this, this theology stuff, this Bible stuff is just too much for me. If they see you throwing up your hands and saying, it's just too much for me, it's not for me. Guess what? Your kids are being discipled. If you're here 
and on the other side, if you're committed to your growth and you're honestly, you're, you're being honest with the things that you don't know yet, but you're searching scriptures and you're driven to know God more and they see your passion and they see you geeking out about who God is, right? Even if you don't have all the answers, if they see you pursuing Christ like that, guess what? Your kids are being discipled. The question is not, are you making disciples in your home? The question is, is whether or not you're making disciples the way Jesus has told us to do it. The question is not, are you a disciple maker in the home? The question is, are you a good one or a bad one? Second, you are teaching theology, whether you realize it or not. Again, they're watching you, and what are you teaching them about God? I've heard several parents who have told me that this theology stuff is just not really for me. I just, I just think we need to keep things simple. Just Jesus loves me, and that's good enough for me, right? I've heard this before, but here's the reality. Whether you realize it or not, you are teaching them theology. In fact, Jesus loves me, and that's good enough for me is a theological statement. It's a theological teaching. You're teaching them that the love of Jesus is the most important and everything else does not matter. That is theological. That is theology. The question is, is really not, are you a theologian? The question is whether or not you're a good one, if you're a good one or a bad one. And since this is true, parents, let us do everything that we can do to teach them well, to give them an accurate understanding of who God is. The call of a parent to our kids is really boiled down to this. You ready? Boiled down to this. Tell them the truth about our God to the best of your ability. Tell your kids the truth about our God to the best of your ability. And this is going to take work. This is going to take effort. That's why the text says diligently teach, right? Diligently is not accidentally. Diligently is not neglect or lazy. Diligently is diligent. It's intentional. It's something we focus on. It's going to take effort and it's worth it. It's our calling. And so some of you, I know, we're not raised in a Christian home that you didn't see this in the home. And even now you're wondering, like, how does that work? Some of you were raised in a, a Christian home and maybe it was a rough upbringing and you have weird um, experiences with this wherever you are. Some of you may be hearing this and like, I don't see how the, this actually can apply, how I can actually live this out. And I wanted to give some just practical things. This is not an all-inclusive list by any means, right? But these are just a few things. Like the first one, this isn't rocket science here reading the scriptures in the home. Like how often are the scriptures read in your home? How often do you read scripture with your kids, right? How often do you teach them about the, the, the Bible and, and more than just telling them stories, but how, how diligent are you to show them the way the Bible points us to Jesus Christ? Another one is memorization or, or even catechisms. I know some of you are like, what? <laughs> I know they're not common, as common as they, as they are today, but they should be really because these catechisms can be really simple teaching tools to help um, develop a Christian worldview. These are excellent to even memorize along with your kids. Again, this is, this is simply a tool to help develop 
Christian worldview. I love the fact that if I were to ask my kids, what's our only hope in life and death? They could tell me we, we are not our own, but we belong to God. I love that. And that's catechism, just teaching a worldview. Another big one here is modeling. Let them see you in prayer. Let them see you in your Bible. Let them see you living out your faith. In fact, one of the best things they can see that we can let them see is us simply coming to them and saying, I'm sorry. Like as a, as a dad, when I mess up, the, to come to them and say, look, dad, was, dad shouldn't have done that. And I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That's modeling the faith. Another one as simple as this sounds is coming to church. Like you're modeling for them what is important. If, if you are making, if you believe that making the family of God, the people of God, uh, meeting with them a, a priority, you're discipling them to see that, right? Another big one, prayer in the home. How often do you pray? And I'm not talking about the puny ones. I know no prayers are puny, but some of them are, right? <laughs> Um, but meaningful prayers. Let them see this. I mean, these things can help us to be diligent as we teach. And I encourage you parents to own this. And this is your unique opportunity. It says, teach them diligently to your kids. And then he says, talk when you're sitting down, walking and lying down and rising, right? I have a question for you and I want you to try to use um, your imagination, all right? This is for all of us, whether you're married, single, children, no kids, wherever you are, whatever stage, right? Use your imagination here. Think of someone, and you can just make this person up. They can be hypothetical, all right? Think of someone who has never heard the gospel before, never heard of Jesus, someone who does not know the wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ, does not know about the Bible, the church, the Holy Spirit, nothing, Okay, got them in your mind, you're hypothetical. Now, if that person were to have spent all week in your home last week, I mean all week, seeing your daily rhythms, your weekly rhythms, watching you as you sit around the table on the couch, as you walk around, cook, clean, knock out laundry, your evening routine, your morning routines, they watched it all. If that person were to have spent all week in your home last week, would that person now have heard the gospel? Would that person now have heard about our God? Would that person now have seen what loving God with all their heart and soul and might looks like? Would that person, would, would they have encountered something in your home, exposing them to something brand new or church? Would your life, would your home, would your rhythms and routines make perfect and complete sense to a person who had never heard about Jesus, who had never met a Christian before, never heard the gospel? If this person spent a week in your, in your home, would they have heard about Jesus? And, or would you have made perfect sense? Church, Scripture calls our homes as followers of Jesus to be so saturated by the gospel that every nook and cranny is impacted by it. It should infiltrate everything. As our text says, when we talk, when we sit, when we walk, when we lie down, when we get up, 
Think about this, church. The gospel saturates every area so that when we sit around the table or the couch in our homes, that the gospel so has infiltrated our conversation that we can't even help it. Like, we don't even sit on the couch the same way we used to sit because of Jesus Christ. We're looking for every opportunity to talk about him. When we're walking around and doing our business around our homes, we don't even do, we don't even mow the yard the way that we once did. The gospel so infiltrates everything on our evening routine as we're getting ready for bed. We don't even go to sleep the same way. As the morning comes and we get up for our morning routine, the gospel has so infiltrated our lives that we don't even wake up the same way that we once did. Christian discipleship is all about knowing him and loving him better. And that is all about saturating our entire life with the gospel out of complete overflow. I want you to use your imagination with me again. Do you remember when the first iPhone came out? I remember, I remember it was, it was wild. Candace and I were, were married. We were in Kansas city. And I remember this thing just literally changing the world before our eyes. Uh, people who were obsessed, whoever had one, they were obsessed. I mean, literally obsessed. And somehow they managed to work this iPhone into every single conversation. They just could not stop. They were obsessed. Like, they were like, look, I can check my emails from anywhere, right? That used to at one time be revolutionary. I can check my alarm. My favorite ringtone can wake me up or GPS. I mean, that was massive. Did away with MapQuest in one night, right? Um, they would see someone trying to text on their flip phone and just be like, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, it was changing the world. And there, it would seem that there was not one single situation, not one single conversation that their new iPhone wouldn't be worked into being the focus, Now, I want you to imagine something. Travel back with me to 2007. And if I were to take a person who had never heard about the iPhone, never, ever even seen it before, and I placed them into the home of someone's life whose life had been changed by this iPhone, and I were to place that person in their home for a week, for a full week, I would put money on the fact that four things would happen. Number one, that person would now know about the iPhone. Number two, that person would know how excited the iPhone owner was about their iPhone, right? Number three, that they would know many of the features of the iPhone. And then number four, after a week of this, they would probably want an iPhone, right? They would have left having seen, having heard, having experienced it. Church, in a much greater way, if any person who was not a believer, never heard the gospel, never heard about Jesus, were placed in your home, they should be so surrounded by Jesus' conversation, so surrounded by the gospel, so saturated in it that when they leave your home, they leave having heard, having seen, having experienced the gospel, having experienced our Christ, our God, and our love for our God. Church, how gospel-saturated is your life 
in your home. The scripture calls us to work the gospel into every aspect of our homes. Now, I know that when I say discipleship at home, I'm dealing with a very complex issue. Some of you come from homes that are broken, homes in which you're the only follower of Jesus. Some of you come from homes where you live alone or some come from large families, right? And everyone in between. And I know that, that some of you are here and you're, you're, see, you're like, how do I apply this to my situation? How, how can I see discipleship in, in the home, right? Listen, no matter who you are, no matter what your home situation looks like, there is something that is absolutely universal, something that is true for you. It starts in you. It starts in you. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on, what's that word? Your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between, that word again, your eyes. Notice it does not say you shall bind them to your husband's hand. Or the frontlets between your teenager's eyes, right? No, no, no. It starts with you, your hand, between your eyes that you know, that you know God better, that your affection for Jesus Christ grows, that you bind this to your heart and to your mind. Now, can the gospel change the people in your home? Praise God, yes. Can the gospel, for example, change your husband's heart, your teenager's heart? Praise God, yes. But don't miss this. God wants to change your heart and he is not done changing your heart. God wants to grow you in the knowledge of him. God wants to grow you in your love for him. And if you're here and your home is not where you want it to be, not where you want to see it, church, let us start with ourselves, that we come to him, that we serve him, that we love him. Discipleship in the home is foundational, but what we need to see is if we're going to see that happen, we must come to Christ personally, that we must know him and love him better. And if you're here and maybe you're dealing with some frustration in regard to discipleship in your home, maybe you're here and things are just not the way you want them to be. Maybe you wish that certain people in your home would just get it, right? I encourage you, focus your heart on Christ. First and foremost, pursue him daily. Grow in your understanding of him daily. Grow in your love for him daily. Start here because church, God has a plan and you can trust him. So pray continually and pursue him continually and realize that his plan, in his plan, he is not done with you. He desires to grow you and to strengthen you in his son. And so it starts with you. And then listen to this. I want you to listen and hear the outward flow. Verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, follow me here. Discipleship in the home is first theological, right? It has to be focused on God, who he is, what he has done, that we know him better. Number two, discipleship in the home must be driven by love that our affection for Christ continues to grow and that we love him with our everything, right? Number three, discipleship in the home is accomplished by gospel saturation. 
that we love him with our everything and our love for him impacts every single area of our lives, that our homes are shaped by him, that our rhythms are shaped by the gospel. And then lastly, let's do not miss this outward flow here, church. Discipleship in the home will impact the community. Discipleship in the home will impact the community. What started in us, what started as rhythms in our homes, started in our homes, now moves out. Moves out. It says on the doorpost, meaning everyone who's going to enter in will see that. On the gates, meaning everyone who passes is going to see that. It will spread out. The work of Christ in our hearts will spread to our house, who will then spread to our community. Discipleship in the home will impact the community. And here's the reality. The answer to our world as we look and we see a community that's hostile toward the gospel and our hearts break and we want to see them come to know the goodness of Jesus. The answer is not to just start trying to change them out there in hopes that we can see this trickle down. No, the scripture, the, the picture that scripture paints for us, flips this upside down, and we see the gospel spreading from the smallest unit out, from the bottom up, that uh, the gospel changes a life, who then changes the home, that then changes the culture. We cannot forfeit our homes. We cannot give up on this because, church, if we want to see a community reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to happen as homes are reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to see homes reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then church, it starts with us. With, it starts with us pursuing Christ to know him better, to love him better. The call for us, no matter who we are, is to come to Christ. And as we finish, as we close, there's one thing here that we all need to see, and that is this, you will fail. You will sin, you will fall short. We all fall short. We will all fail to lead our lives the way that we should. And more than that, church, hear me, you will not only fail personally, but church, we will also fail to lead our homes the way that we should. However, this is why the concept of grace is so foundational to our gospel. You have not messed your life up too much for the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Dad, you have not failed too much as a dad. Mom, you have not failed too much as a mom. Singles, you have not messed up too much that you have out the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Kids, God loves you so much that Jesus came and died for you so that you can know him and be with him forever. Church, if we're going to reach our community, it starts in our homes. If we're going to reach our homes, and it starts with us. And so the call for us is to come to Jesus. And as we bow our head and close our eyes, I know that we fail. We all sin. The Bible tells us that we all sin and fall short. But hear me, the Bible also tells us that while we were dead in our sins, God demonstrated his great love for you that he sent Christ who died for you so that now, because of Jesus Christ, there is grace and there is forgiveness. 
so that now, because of Jesus Christ, there is eternal life for you. And all of that was purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross for you. So that now, so that now, the Bible says, all that you do, all that any of us do, is respond to that good news by trusting in Jesus Christ. So that all that you do, all that I do, all that we do is to respond in faith to the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we do this, church, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ.